Whether it's running, hiking, biking, golfing, or even working, Curex insoles can help your patients live healthy and active lifestyles. Using the latest medical and biomechanics research, Curex insoles are engineered for unequaled comfort, performance, and injury prevention. With its patented dynamic arch technology that enables the ideal ratio of flexibility and rigidity, Curex insoles properly support the foot and its natural movement for ideal knee and hip alignment. And because no two patients are alike, Curex offers a full line of highly customised insoles available in high, medium and low arch profiles. Learn more about the science behind Curex and sign up for a free sample at medical.curex.us. That's medical.currex.us. Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Welcome to another episode of our Sports Corner series. Today we are sitting down with Dr. Marie Boo. Dr. Boo completed her sports residency at Texas Health Sports Medicine and Texas Christian University, working with men's football and women's soccer. She is now the physical therapist for the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, and in her current role, she travels with the team, providing rehab both in the training room and on field while collaborating with the medical and performance team on injury prevention, monitoring, and return to play decisions. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a U.S.-based physical therapist and owner of Chapman PT in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at Stanford University Athletics. Marie Boo, thank you so much for being on JOSPT Insights today. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you guys so much for having me. Okay, so you are working with just like the absolute best of the best female athletes. So we want to get your perspective and hear your expertise on just like the best way that we can treat high level elite female athletes. You know, in the Sports Corner series, we start, we like to start with just some of the physical demands of the sport and then get into some of the typical injuries that come from there. So looking at a female soccer athlete, what are some of the physical demands that we need to consider when we're treating them? Going by position first, it's going to depend a lot on the coaching tactics, how the game is going to be played. It depends on formation, the intensity of the game. If you're the the lesser team or the team that's more in control of the game, it's going to change the demands of each player. But in general, goalkeepers, usually people forget about the goalkeepers. I want to shout out to them. They're going to have the smallest overall volume, but they have to be extremely powerful and quick. So they're going to have to be jumping, diving, getting up quickly, jumping for a ball to punch it out of the air, doing long balls, driven balls, things like that that you don't always think about for goalkeepers. Then we have, uh, we'll start with the center backs. They tend to have a lower volume overall, but they need to be fast in order to match the opposing forwards. They also will have a lot of tackles, both on the ground and in the air. And they have a lot of tactical responsibilities. They have a really good vantage point of the field. And they can often drive the positioning of the team and just the general like tactical aspect of the game. And you go to your outside fullbacks, they're going to have a higher overall volume and high speed running. In the women's game, high speed running is defined as 19 kilometers per hour or faster. So that's just about 12 miles an hour. They're going to have a lot of high speed running, a lot of excels and decels as they're moving up and down the outside to balance the attack and get back to defend. They're going to have 
those responsibilities. Then we have the center mids, which are going to have a higher total volume usually, but they have less sprints than some of the other positions. And that's, first of all, we define sprints as 22.5 kilometers an hour. So just under 14 or around 14 miles per hour, because they're working in such more, such a confined space. They don't have the the distance to really build up those sprint speeds. They have a lot of change of direction, tend to be some of the fittest on the team because they act like they never stop moving. They're always doing something on the field. And for that reason, I also share some of the tactical responsibilities with the center back. Those are positions that you don't usually want to sub out if you don't have to. So again, leading to they're some of the, the fittest on the team. Then you have your outside mids, which are going to be similar in nature to your outside center back or your outside backs as well. They're going to have a high to moderate volume, a lot of high speed running, and then both attacking and defending responsibilities. And then lastly, you have your forwards. They might have a little bit lower total volume. Sometimes not if there's a high attack or high press. They're going to have a lot of high speed running distance and they're usually some of the fastest and the most explosive on the team. Another thing to consider with forwards is they have to be explosive with their change of direction because that explosiveness is what can turn a couple of inches into a wide enough space to get a shot off. So another thing to, I think, is important as a a PT to consider that their change of direction has to be so quick in order to really be dangerous. The other thing to kind of think about as a PT is the overall demands of a game and they can hit 10 or more kilometers in a game. Their top speed, oftentimes, I remember thinking like, oh, my athlete's running 13, 14, 15 miles an hour, like they're crushing it. But some of our girls can hit sprint speeds of 35 kilometers an hour, which is 22 miles an hour. And so getting them to actually reach what their high speed and sprint speeds are is really, really important. I had no idea the high sprint speeds got that fast. So you just broke down the demands by different positions. What type of injuries are we often looking at with these players? It's primarily soft tissue injuries. And then breaking down by body part, usually knee, hip, and then ankle are the the primary ones. So soft tissue injuries on the women's side, quad is a big one hamstring and adductor as well. And then calf strains, calf injuries is another big one that that happens. I know before people used to always say, you know, adductor, hamstring injuries only happened or a lot more prevalent in the men's game. And I think that the women's game is starting to get much faster and more explosive. And we are seeing a lot more of those injuries. They also tend to have some tendinopathies. Achilles tendinopathy can be a big one. Patellar tendinopathy, proximal hamstring tendinopathy. Other ones thinking about ligaments. So ACL, I think the ACL is more common in the women's game than the men's game. MCL, meniscus, of course, ankle sprains, things like that. We also see a decent amount of OCD injuries and cartilage injuries. One of the things that I think other sports do better is that their youth, if you think about baseball, there's so much research out there that you shouldn't play so many teams and every season after season and not having time off and having pitch count limits and things like that. The same thing is prevalent in youth sports where they're playing on multiple teams. They're playing year round. They don't ever give themselves a break because they think that if they take a break, they're going to get set back. And we're actually seeing that that's causing more overuse injuries and more long-term damage later on for joints, cartilage. But I do think time off just for your whole body to kind of recover is important in some capacity. 
injury that I would say that is more prevalent in the women's game and the men's game is low back pain and SI joint issues, as well as concussions are slightly more prevalent in the women's game than the men's game. So is it is it just soccer that females experience more concussions? My, and again, this is anecdotally based on a little bit of research, but I think the women's game, again, is getting faster. It's getting, they're getting stronger. And women tend to have less strong neck musculature than their male counterparts. And so they're getting up to speed with their forcefulness of their kicking and things like that. But their other parts of their body haven't caught up, i.e. their neck strength. And that's just one component of it. I think that's a very probably rudimentary way to think about it. So there's a lot of other things that play a factor into it. But that's one of the first things that I think about. There was an article six, seven years ago about strengthening the neck with soccer players. And if it decreased risk of concussion, it did show to have effects on concussions. Marie, you mentioned that you monitor the athletic performance of your of your athletes as well as their recovery, both on the field, but then outside of that as well. Can you go into that a little bit more and how that works on the professional level and how also how that ties into, I assume, an effort towards injury prevention? I will say we have a phenomenal high performance team that we work with. So with our director of high performance and our sports scientist, our strength conditioning coach, really lead the way on this. So at every training, every game, everything that they're with us, we have GPS live data during training, during games. And so A, we can see, you know, we're supposed to be hitting X amount of high-speed running today. Are they hitting that high-speed running that they usually hit? Are they going a little bit more slowly Are they actually beating some of their previous times? Same with sprints. If we're doing max sprints that day, if they haven't been able to reach their max sprint speed, that kind of raises the flag to us. Like, okay, what's going on with you? Or if we're trying to get somebody back in a return to play, say from a hamstring, and we're making decisions, we need to make sure that they can hit their top speed before we clear them to get to a game. So we'll have, again, iPad out there with real-time GPS metrics that we can use to help us quantify things in the moment on how they're doing. That is super cool. It's a good time to go into like what a typical day looks like for you and who you're working alongside of. So a typical day in camp, we will get up, have breakfast, start getting some things ready for training as everybody's trickling in for morning treatments and rehab. Then we usually tape right before we get on the bus for training. So during that whole time, it's Myself as the PT, we have a head athletic trainer and two assistant athletic trainers. We have three massage therapists, chiropractor, a team physician, and then working in conjunction once we get on field with our director of performance, strength conditioning coach, and sports scientist. From our high performance side, that's our team that we are always collaborating with and working with. Then we have training. And again, training can really depend if, if everybody's in full we're just out there as a normal training session. If we're doing any on-field rehab or return to play, then we'll pull them aside, usually with myself and our sports scientist or conditioning coach to go through the appropriate progressions for that day, whether it be rehab, again, hitting high-speed running, hitting sprint speeds, how many we're doing that day. All of that is decided the night before to know what exactly, if everybody's in full, if we're taking somebody out for a drill and then putting them back in, all of that is decided in advance. And then we get back and we have lunch. We'll do afternoon treatments, rehabs, 
medical checks, whatever is needed that day. And then we'll sit down with our high performance staff from medical as well as the sports science strength conditioning side. And we'll go over everybody for the day, how they're doing, if anybody, any flags came up on any of the wellness questionnaires or any of the GPS metrics, anything that we're seeing from medical side. If anybody got injured that day, we all come together in that moment and discuss each player individually. Then we usually have dinner and then we'll go into our coaches meeting where we discuss generally medical on how everybody's doing, if anybody needs to be modified for the next day, if anybody's out for the next day, and then we go through the training plan and then determine the training plan for the next day. We do have other monitoring that we do. That's the biggest one that we do on field, but we have other things that we do before and after training. So we'll have each athlete will do their hydration in the morning. They get their specific gravity of their urine to figure out, you know, am I hydrated enough for today? They all have daily wellness questionnaires. So we know, all right, this person was flagged and you can look, okay, they didn't sleep well. They have a lot of stress. They're sore today. And the thing we do with that is just have it on our radar, basically. We're not going to pull somebody out because they didn't sleep well that day. But it alerts us to say, oh, hey, such and such person, I saw your, like, your knee's a little sore. How you doing? Do you want to come in for treatment before we can take a look at you and see if we need to modify anything, see if you're in full, and just reevaluate and see how they're doing from there. Nothing on those will ever keep them out from anything. But like I said, it just helps us to dictate uh, what's going on for the day. And then we also use force decks, so the force plates. Nordboard and groin bar each camp. So our position is unique because we are not with the athletes day in and day out. We're with them for about 10 days a month for eight to 10 sessions per year. So we'll usually do one or at least a few of those things in each camp where we're hitting counter movement jumps, squat jumps, double leg squats, Nordboard assessment, abducting and abductor strength, and we're looking for any asymmetries and how it changes over time. We do have normative data that we look at. So if their Nordboard numbers are very, very low compared to the average, that'll flag us to then give some recommendations that we can do in camp, but that's very brief. So then we'll also give those all of those data points and our recommendations to their club team as well to help to influence it more long-term. So we use all of those different strategies. Again, it's very short glimpse of time that we see them, but it's nice to have different touch points. And then you can see if somebody's been on the team for five years, where their numbers have tracked over the last five years. Okay. So then I guess the, the last thing I wanted to touch on is, right. So your expertise is elite level. If we are just like a, a sports PT, not working with the women's national team, but we get a high level soccer player into our clinic. Are there key things to keep in mind that that clinician should keep in mind to be able to treat that athlete the best they can? There's a lot of different things to keep in mind. Like I said before, knowing the actual demands of the sport is imperative. So you're not saying, all right, great, you can run a mile and you can run it at seven miles per hour, you're good to go. Knowing that they have to be able to do a full sprint, that they can do change of direction quickly, that they can do repeated sprint. I've worked a lot with other sports in the past and like track, for example, I'm not knocking on track. I love my track athletes. But when we're preparing a track athlete, we're preparing them to do a max effort sprint one, two max of three times in a track meet versus our athletes are doing 10, 15, 20 sprints in a game. So the able 
to reproduce that same intensity, I think is really important to consider. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think it's it's so easy for us to be like, okay, yep, okay, check, you can sprint. Great. We did that three times and now you're cleared to go back to sport. But being able to, yeah, make sure you have the space and the opportunity to be able to actually test them in that way is a good is yeah. a very good call. I would say the other big thing to consider with any level is that you understand that what the coach wants them to do, which is out on the field with the rest of their team. So as much as they can be on the field with their team, whether that's taking mental reps or being part of the warm up even and they step out, anything that you can get them into training, anything like that as much as possible is going to be beneficial for not only the athlete, but the team and the coach and their tactics moving forward. So if your youth athlete is lucky enough to have an athletic trainer or a strength coach, I think they're a great way to discuss all of these things with and start to work with them. And if not, and if this is something that you want to do, reach out to the coach themselves, see if you can understand what their day looks like. Marie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and share your expertise and your knowledge. I mean, I think there's some great clinical pearls that we can all take away to incorporate into our soccer rehabs for our female athletes. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And as always, we want to thank you for listening to JOSPT Insights. listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at JOSPT and Facebook, where JOSPT official. Talk with you next time.